0: Today's message I want to talk to you is called, Are You a Follower? Ask you some questions. Are you a follower? Are you following Christ? I know many are quick to say, of course I am. I'm here in church, aren't I? I pray, I read the Bible, and I'm not ashamed to talk about God in front of others. But that's not my question. What I want to know, and more importantly, what God is asking is, are you really following Christ? And how do you know? I know many will point to the verse that they say, it proves that you're following Him and you're headed to heaven. And that verse is 1 John 5.13. If you're familiar with this verse, many people say, because of this, I know I'm going to heaven. It says, John writes in 1 John 5.13, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. See, there are many who say a prayer and they say, I believe Jesus, and they say, because this verse I'm I'm all set. My ticket's punched to heaven. But my response to that is this. Is your definition of believe biblically accurate? Because remember, it matters not whether you can convince me with your answer. There is one alone who judges the merit and truthfulness of our answer. You see, to believe means more than to just think it in our mind. Of course, there are many who say that the proof is if you believe in your heart, then you're saved. And yet the Bible is very clear about the heart. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 and 10, it says this, "...the heart..." is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways according to the fruit of his doings. See, God alone searches the hearts and tests the mind and holds us accountable by our ways and according to the fruit of our doings, not just our sayings. Therefore, to believe is not just saying that you agree with something. Believe is an action word. Do you live like you believe? Do all your actions fully support this belief? Is there readily readily observable fruit in all parts of your life proving this belief? And are the things that you are living for are they worth Christ dying for? This point is even more readily seen in the following verse. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. See, here we're asked not to just believe in the name of the Lord, but rather to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to fully and wholeheartedly live in every way as if your life itself depended on this belief? If I'm resting on God, it'd be like I'm resting on this point. If it were taken out, I would crash. Is your life completely resting on and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ? To build your entire existence on the foundation of this belief, that if what you believed about Jesus was wrong in any way, your life would immediately come crashing down and it would be over. Are you believing on the Lord Jesus Christ in all things? This is what God is looking for in our lives. Not for perfection, but a willingness to seek Him and His guidance and His forgiveness and His holiness in all that we do. You see, when you sin and when you fall, if you're following Him, you come to Him with a repentant heart. Not a heart that says, "I feel bad because I got caught," but one that fully realizes that you broke the connection and the relationship with the God who sacrificed his own son for us. If you are truly following him, he influences your thoughts, your words, your actions and your reactions. But if you find yourselves lacking in any of these areas, how do you begin anew? To follow Christ. And the way that He has called each of us individually to follow Him. We must go to the Word and to Jesus Himself. We have such a privilege to have the Word available to us. So many Bibles, many people have many Bibles in their homes. We have the freedom in this country to do so. This country is that it's against the law to have a Bible. It's against the law to smuggle a Bible into some places around the world. And yet we have it and, and, and sometimes we take it for granted. And God says these are the words of life to build your life upon. We must become like Simon Peter who allowed the Holy Spirit to convict him of truth when give him the choice of following the world or following Jesus. And maybe you don't realize it, but there's a lot going on in the world that's trying to get under your skin to get you to start following the world right now instead of following Jesus. There's some tough teaching in the Bible that some places are not talking about. But when Jesus talked about some tough teaching that was too hard for some of the people who were kind of following on the outskirts to digest, not everyone continued to follow him. John chapter 6, starting at verse 66 through 68, says, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. See, when you are open to seek the truth, you will always be convicted to the Spirit to turn to the Lord, for He alone has the words of eternal life. A healthy spirit constantly hungers for the words of eternal life found through Jesus and the Word of God. If you have lost that daily hunger and do not have a daily desire to pray and to meditate on His Word, then it's time to reassess your priorities. There's no shame or condemnation. God's just saying, I want to spend more time with you. Therefore, let's look at the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus comes to a common tax collector and gives a simple but strong invitation. It's in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. In the text here, all we see is one little space after follow me, and then so he arose and followed him. One little space. It seems so insignificant. Yet the choice of living or dying, the promise of salvation or condemnation, the power of redemption or destruction all exist in the confines of these little spaces. What happens with Matthew in this little space is what we all need to know. If we are to leave it all behind and immediately arise and follow Jesus when he calls us. Matthew responds immediately. I cannot emphasize enough just how important it is to obey God immediately. When you do, you cut off the flesh's opportunity to mess things up. Those of you who feel a call to pray, sometimes God will wake you up in the middle of the night and say, pray for this person. And you could say, if you don't get up immediately, your flesh will tell you, "Uh, when you get up, you can do this. Or in just a minute, you can do this. But there are times in the middle of the night when you've been the recipient of prayer that you know someone is praying for you, that you're glad that someone got up out of bed at that moment and prayed for you. There's times when God says, I want you to call that person, and your flesh says, well, I'll do it when I finish this. But there's people who right at that moment need a call from you, and God is directing you to call that person and encourage them. If you ever you've gotten a call out of the blue from someone, or an email out of the blue from someone, or a text out of the blue from someone, that is someone who is responding to God's call immediately because God knows that you need his touch immediately. That's the power of the body of Christ is responding immediately before the flesh can talk us out of what God is directing us to do. The flesh only needs a foot in the door. If you give it an inch, it takes a mile. Therefore, your job is to not give an inch. Your job is to hold the line. Be prepared for God to speak to you. And then be prepared to arise immediately and start to follow, just as Matthew did. If it's not immediate, your flesh will start and will stall you and stall the process by asking you three questions. If you don't respond immediately, your flesh will ask you these three questions that I want to talk about today. Where are these questions? The first thing your flesh will do to delay your immediate response is to ask you, what will it cost me? Think about Matthew and his situation. What did it cost him as a tax collector? For a tax collector enjoyed protection from the Roman government. And a tax collector was also able to take care of his own material needs as many of the tax collectors were known to skim the top off of their collections whatever they needed for themselves first, before turning it over to the government. For Matthew, it would cost him his comfort, his control, and his, communicate, and his connections. You see, the same is true for us. Following Jesus will cost us our comfort, since usually we do things based on whether we feel comfortable or not to do something. Many times, if we do not feel comfortable doing or saying something, We don't do it. Yet if we are following Christ and He calls us to talk to someone about the Lord or to serve someone in need or to give money for His kingdom or to forgive someone who wronged us or simply to trust Him when it looks impossible, then we must sacrifice our comfort in order to come into alignment with His call and command. And you don't know where God's going to call you. I was getting tires put on my truck a couple of weeks ago, and God told me to start to talk to, uh, uh, I won't say names, but the person down at, at the tire place Start talking about Jesus. And I did. And you know what? More customers started to come in, and other workers started to come in. And we had a great talk about Jesus. If I would have said, no, God, I'm just getting tires that's not the place, I would have missed an awesome opportunity for God to share His Word with people there. We need to be willing to say, yes, it's not always going to be comfortable, but if we do, God's going to reward us in the process. So it will cost us our comfort. But it will also cost us our control. Matthew was in control of his income for he not only got paid from his employer, but he could also skim the money his way. He could skim it off the top whenever he felt like it. Having control of income as well as other affairs in your life gives you great power and flexibility. Yet choosing like Matthew to walk away from it all, to leave the tax collecting and the old way of life behind causes us to give up our control. Now God may not necessarily be calling you to leave your job and become a missionary or a full-time evangelist, but He is calling you to leave your old way of thinking. Your control of life. Your, your idea of I always have to have all the answers before I step out. Your logic. He may ask you to leave that to keep you on the right path. A follower of Christ turns their complete control over to the Lord to lead and to guide and to direct and to convict and order their paths even if it seems unfair or illogical to them. The reason that Nancy and I are here in Roscommon is because I left a job. I had two jobs. I taught in school I we pastored a small church. But I left my teaching job where I was at the top of the pay scale. And I basically came up here to start a new job in Grayling where I'm basically at the bottom of the pay scale so that we could walk through the doors of this church as your pastor's where God has called us to serve. It didn't make sense in the natural. I was criticized and mocked by some. But giving up our control to follow God's call is the most rewarding choice you can make, and rightly so for us, especially at this time in our lives. We are rewarded by so many other things. A great parsonage to live in. Great people. A great church. Great tradition. Genuine people. We're to walk away from many of our friends that we still have, but we're blessed with so many more. When we chose to give up our control, God blessed us in so many other ways. A follower must trust God and His Word above their own reasoning. This requires giving one's control completely over to God and trusting Him with the direction of your life. It's not easy but it is absolutely worth it. Finally, it will cost you the security you have in your connections, as it did for Matthew. For he enjoyed the favor and protection he had from the Roman government. For him, following Jesus would forfeit that protection in the world. He could now, like others, be falsely accused. He could be forced to pay unfair taxes and even be persecuted for following Jesus, we too must be willing to forfeit the connections we have made that are not pleasing in God's sight. If there are people in our lives that are leading us away from God, who have more influence on the direction of our lives than God does, then we are asked to give these up so that we can follow Jesus uninhibited. Now nowhere does Jesus say that we can't talk with and spend time with people who are not following Him. So that's how we share His message, is getting involved in the lives of others. But we need to keep talking about Jesus. We need to be praying for those people. I know there are some people who say, well, Jesus sat with sinners. Jesus reclined with sinners. Yes, but He didn't stop, become, he didn't stop being Jesus. He didn't just go hang out in the bar. He still was Jesus. He still shared the truth of His Word. When you're with others, are you sharing the truth of God's Word? God's not asking us to give that up. We are to love our friends, our acquaintances. We are to pray for them. And we are to be a reflection of God's light to them. However, we are warned extensively about where our allegiance lies. And if we are spending the majority of our time with people who are in the world, we are susceptible to being influenced by them instead of being led by God. If one is not being led by God, he is a friend to the world. What's the harm, you might ask? Well, listen to what the Bible says. Listen to what James calls those who are friends of the world. James chapter 4, verse 4. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Very strong words. And a very strong statement. But this is what is required to follow Jesus. Now we still use grace with others. Like I said, we want to get involved in people's lives. For the goal of sharing them with the greatest news that's ever been given. We want to pray for them. We want to encourage them. We want to help them. We want to serve them. But our allegiance is to God, first and foremost. We must be sold out to Him and be led by His message instead of the world and its desire to pull us away from the only One who can save our souls. To follow Jesus, it will cost us everything. Therefore, we must count the cost and be committed to following Him when we arise when He calls our name. Luke chapter 14. Verses 28-30, through 30, Jesus tells a parable. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. This is why we study the Scriptures and talk about the full weight of the message and the entirety of truth that resides in the Bible with proper knowledge and a balanced understanding of grace and truth, of love and sacrifice, of forgiveness and repentance, only then can we choose to follow knowing what it will cost us to do. Right now in our country, we have the freedom to worship God. Praise God for that. There are some around the world that don't have that freedom and yet they still worship God. They know that they can be persecuted, arrested, beaten, or killed, and yet they still do that. That has not happened here yet to that extent, but it will eventually. We need to choose to follow Jesus. And if we do, we must count the cost in order to do so. If you arise thinking that it sounds cool or popular to follow Jesus, or that it's what someone else wants you to do, or that nothing else is required of you to follow Him, you will be sadly mistaken to find out that Jesus requires you to bear your own cross as well. It's not easy, but it's worth it. If you don't count the cost, your walk may never get started or it may end before you reach the promised land. It's like those many people that decide to follow Him no more because the teaching was too tough. Luke 14.33 Jesus continues, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be My disciple. Now this is where a lot of confusion and misinterpretation comes in understanding exactly what Jesus is speaking to us about. For there are many who say, well, I'm not called to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm merely stating that I believe Him and that I follow Him. They say, Jesus only had 12 disciples while the rest were just followers or believers. But this is a matter of inadequate interpretation. The 12 apostles are often referred to as the 12 disciples. But all those who followed the way, as it was called, or the truth of Jesus, were referred to as his disciples. We see this a couple of places in Acts. In Acts 1.15 it says, And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether the number of names was about a 120. And in Acts seven, it says, Then the Word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. See, God doesn't call us to be converts. He doesn't call us to be believers. He calls us to be disciples. If you have responded to the Word of God and the Holy Spirit moving in your heart to follow Jesus, then you are called to be a disciple, not merely a believer. For even Satan believes in Jesus, having seen Him rise from the dead. But Satan is not a follower of Him. Therefore, we are to be called to be disciples of Jesus. And thus we are called to forsake our comfort our control, and our connections in order that we may follow Christ. What will it cost us? It will cost us everything. But we gain the most precious gift ever given in return. We gain a peace in our souls that the world cannot give. We gain forgiveness. No matter how bad any of us has messed up, we gain forgiveness. We gain redemption and restoration and direction and perfect love. And most importantly, we gain eternal life with God, our Father. So after your flesh asks that first question, what will it cost me? It will ask you the second question before you choose to follow Jesus. What is that second question? Will it be safe? Will it be safe for me to follow Jesus? This question from our flesh comes out of our constant desire of security and safety above all else. Many are not willing to take a risk or to step out in faith or to do anything new unless they feel it will be safe in doing so. Of course, it will not be safe for our flesh, which is our mindset, our ways of doing things, our agenda or our pride. Paul proclaims this message as he has seen just how unsafe it was to his old way of life when he chose to respond to Jesus' invitation to follow him. Galatians 2.20. Great verse. If you're looking for a verse to memorize, I believe it's our memory verse of today. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, meaning that he sacrificed his will. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. How would your prayer life change if you began each morning reciting those words in your prayer life? I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and through me. Jesus lived through me Today. Will it be safe to follow Jesus? Absolutely not. Fleshly thinking, fleshly perspectives, and fleshly influences must die. John the Baptist said it this way. In John 3:30, he said, He must, me speaking of Jesus, he must increase, but I must decrease. In other words, your faith in Christ and your ability to follow him is directly proportionate to how much of yourself. You are allowing to decrease so that he might increase in you and in your life. How do you know? Ask someone else to judge you. It's easy for us to say, yes, I'm doing it. How, are you willing to ask a spouse or a friend or a colleague or a neighbor? Can you see Jesus in my life? Especially a neighbor, right? That's tough. If, if there's any hesitances, that hesitance you have and ask them, then maybe we're not, we, we need to be convicted first. And again, not shame or condemnation, but rather to say, God, I admit, there's still things I need to work on. I submit to you to do a change in me and in my heart and in my motivations. So what will it cost me? Will it be safe? The third thing your flesh asks you before you respond to God is, will it be convenient? I will let you know, it will absolutely not be convenient because you will have to lay down your will to pick up His. Understand this, that each of us can only ever carry one will at a time. Neither ours nor His can be compromised. Jesus cites this example when He talks about the decision to trust godly riches or earthly riches. Matthew 6.24 He says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. It is the same when it comes to following your will. Either you will follow your will or you will choose like Jesus did to lay down the will of His flesh so that God's perfect will of the Spirit would be done. Remember when Jesus laid down the will of His flesh? Luke 22, verse 42. Jesus said, Father, if it is Your will, take this cup away from Me. Nevertheless, not My will, but Yours be done. Our flesh wants us to avoid the conviction and the changing to follow God. We just have to be honest enough to lay it down. Don't be shamed by it. Lay it down so we can follow God. And when we admit that to God, then God helps us to do that. In order to refute these tempting questions of our flesh, we must know beforehand that it will cost us everything. It will not be safe for our flesh. And it will not be convenient in accordance to our will. Yet if we know this ahead of time, and we truly believe in and on the Lord Jesus Christ, then we will bypass the trap of the enemy to keep us seated when God calls us to rise. You see, if you know the answers to this question, you don't give your flesh chance a chance to ask you, what will it cost you? Will it be safe? Will it be convenient? If you've made up your mind ahead of time, then you're going to rise when God calls your name. Yet too often, it's exactly what we do. We don't respond immediately. Therefore, we end up trying to debate with our flesh and its questions instead of obeying the Lord immediately at its word. A.W. Tozer, a great theologian, adds this, What must our Lord think of us if His work and His witness depends upon the security and the safety and the convenience of His people? No element of sacrifice No bother. No disturbance. So we are not getting anywhere with God. We have stopped and pitched our tent halfway between the swamp and the peak. This should not be so. This should serve as a wake-up call to all of us who have ever allowed these three questions to affect our decision to arise and follow Jesus. Therefore, let's look at this encounter one more time with Matthew. Matthew 9, verse 9, And Jesus said to him, Follow Me. So he arose and followed Him. You see that very small spot right in between there. It's that small space. Our faith relies on those small spaces in time. And if we respond immediately, we shut off the flesh. So it can't respond. So it can't debate with us. It can't ask us questions. We determine ahead of time... To get up and follow him. Before Jesus, before Matthew could follow Jesus, he had to arise. God doesn't make us stand up. We have to respond to stand up. Matthew had to obey immediately in order to not let the flesh speak or question or tempt him to remain seated. How will you respond when he calls you to arise? Will it be inspired by you or will it be inspired by God? When the inspiration of God comes and he says, arise from the dead, we have to get ourselves up. God won't lift us up. God's looking for our willingness. We don't have to make it all the way. There's a hundred steps to God. It's our job to turn and begin walking. And then God runs the 99 steps to us. We have to be willing to stand up, to come to him and to respond to his voice. Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, stretch out your hand. As soon as the man did so, as soon as he stretched out his hand, his hand was healed. But he had to take the initiative. He had to stretch his hand out first. We have to respond to God and step up first. And when we do, then God beats us and gives us the power to overcome. Strengthens our faith. Renews our focus. If we will take the initiative to overcome, we will find that we have the inspiration of God because He immediately gives us the power of life through the Holy Spirit. Understanding all of this, we are quickened to the truth that God speaks to all of us to arise and follow Him. Knowing what it means to follow Him. To count the cost. Because He is the greatest reward for all of us. How Will you respond? Will you rise when He calls your name? Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your truth and Your your Word which sears us to the heart. Lord God, where we have been off, where we have failed, where we have hesitated, God, forgive us. We know that Your work is not finished with with us yet. Help us to respond immediately, to settle in our hearts that we will get up, that we will arise, that we will pray, that we will make that phone call, that we will send that letter, that we will do whatever You called us to do for Your glory, not for our comfort or our control. Help us to respond when You call our name. In Jesus' name, Amen.